Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Van, and with me today, just like last time, Justin Mason, indie author, uh, one of my best friends. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing really good, Dan. Thanks for having me back on the show. Uh, sorry, you know, I was sick there for a while, so we had to kind of push things back, but I'm really glad to be here tonight. That's awesome. Today, what are we covering? We're covering Chapter 3 of The Sword of Bedweer. Farewell, my brother. Book 1 of The Crimson Shadow. R.A. Salvatore. What we made thoughts it. on this book so far, Dan? We made it to Chapter 3. Yeah, man. Uh, I made it to Chapter 3, which is like a miracle in itself. Yeah, so uh, thoughts on the book? Uh, I don't like it so far. I mean, it's cool. I like the writing. I love Bob's writing, you know? Yep. He writes very well. Um, I love the fight scenes. Got me hooked on that. But, uh, you know, when you kill my homie Garth, <laughs> and <laughs> you do tough. political. That was tough, man. Oy. Yeah, like, I, I just, the next book that I look for, I'm going to look for the most political, heavy, mm. random character killing book I can possibly find. And just, I'm going to suggest that and see if I can just troll you with it. My God. Let's do the Red Rising series. That's got some politics in it. It's pretty good, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I've got Farewell, um, my brother. I've got the uh, summary here. I'll start going through the summary, and as always, you just chime in when you think of something that you want to say. Sounds good to me, man. All right, so the chapter starts with Luthien dumbfounded at the death of his friend, Garth Rogar. Mm-hmm. Vainly, he asks death to take someone else as he leans over Garth's quickly cooling body. There... I loved this part. Yeah. I, I know, like, chime in when you want to say something, but yep. try not to chime in for at no, least that's the fine. first five minutes. This was one of the best parts I've read so far, because I'm I'm, I'm sitting here, and I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm like, I've seen so many other movies, right, where, like, when it's written in that old style, like, fly, death, stay yes. from here, you know, like, I've seen things written like that and spoken like that before, but this resonated so heavily with me, and I'm like, I just kind of feel for the guy, man. Yeah. So it was good. It was very emotional. Yes, it was. It was is very well written, and that's the end of the episode. No, just kidding. I just wanted to do that joke. Okay, there is a cry. Okay. So there is a cry from the arena tunnel entrance as Katarin runs out to Luthien's side. Luthien begins to vow uh, a vow to avenge, but before he can finish, Katarin tells him to stuff it. Luthien is offended by this, but Katarin goes on to explain Garth Rogar dies as a warrior by the most ancient and hallowed rules of the arena of our people. And Do he has no right to take him. that from him. Yep. Yeah, I Do agree with that. No, him. you know, and she's also, I think she's also low key protecting Luthien. Yeah. Because Luthien, we've seen, is very sheltered. Oh, for sure. His whole character description up until this point has come off as very sheltered. He's a good boy. And Catherine is like, oh, dude, you're about to threaten some nobles. Don't do that. Yeah, you're still in their viewpoint. Well, actually, no, they, yeah. they walked off, but still, like, you know. So I wrote that. I loved this because it makes her so compassionate yet hardened, showing yeah. that, uh, showing the reader exactly what kind of rules this world is under. Very good. So if you haven't Very gotten good. it by now, there are some hard and fast rules, and who's going to know it better but Katarin, some girl from Hale that got a second chance over here in Bedridgen. You know what I mean? Yep. I'm, she knows I'm what's going man. down. Okay, so Luthien pulls away from Katarin and runs away, across the arena field, into the tunnel, then out near the harbor and north along the beach. He runs away. So okay. uh, then it cuts to a scene between Ethan and Garrus. There's a lot of that in this book. Did you notice that? Of them fighting? No, there's a lot of scenes in this book where, uh, you know, because my it brother jumps and I... jumps headspace. 
Yeah, and we talk about our writing all the time. He's like, you can't have so many focuses in your yeah. conversation. You I love just got to stay on one thing. You know, you can't have a character having a conversation here and then cut to another character having a conversation here. I'm like, but I'm I'm reading here. As Salvatore does it all the time. It flows. I'm like, so what am I doing wrong though? Like, because I'm trying to figure it out because I love this writing style. I love being able to go from one scene without the little star, 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 boom, right to the next scene. I well, love. Well, how doing does he that. do it? Does he put an ellipses or something like that, or he does the little? There's nothing here. This is it what just it goes. Is. And then Luthien ran across the field into the tunnel, out to the area near the harbor, north along the beach. Next line. Oh, he has a, like a like a, because for him his paragraphs are all single spaced. And then he has, like, a line space. And then it goes into, it was unfortunate, Garrus began, trying to downplay the events. So that's how he separates his his events. He doesn't have a big blocky, like, triple star break. He just has a, a line space. That's really cool. Yes. Yeah, here, I'll, I'll show it for the people here. So here's where we're talking about at the bottom of um, this fourth it's... paragraph. And then Luthien ran across the field, into the tunnel, and out into the open... Uh, area near the harbor north along the beach no break just a an extra indentation yeah it like was unfortunate garris began trying to downplay the events yeah so he just goes right into the next thing i like that that's cool so and here's here's ethan again totally not yep. surprised that this is happening like it was murder like this is not okay and there's this there's garris again kind of trying to smooth things over without starting a freaking war you know like it's like yeah so uh it cuts to that <sighs> scene very quickly uh between ethan and garris where they fight about how the morning played out ethan proud garris ashamed yet steadfast in his decision garris breaks the news that avaness uh will be his new wife that aubrey thinks that she could have uh a positive influence on bedwidrin bedwidrin Ethan points out that she's obviously uh, obviously has been planted by a spy for Morkney. Garrus is silent, kind of knowing this to be true. Like, he's just silent while he's saying this. Like, dude, she's a freaking spy, dude. And how can you do this? So then Ethan berates Garrus further uh, to point out where um, he gets pissed and slaps Ethan for being impertinent. So Garrus slaps Ethan, a 36-year-old. <coughs> Because he wasn't showing proper respect. This is this is classic right here. This whole sequence has me reading this like, if I was him, if I was Ethan, I would just be besides myself. I'd be like, I have to get out of here. Yes. This is not my home anymore. Yep. And I'm going to leave this entire island, and I'm going to leave all these people to their own freaking devices, and I'm going to go try to make my life somewhere else. But, you I'm know, th Ethan. there's almost a dichotomy <laughs> between this scene and the scene with Luthien and Katarin, where genius. Luthien just more genius yeah. writing from Salvador. well, I'm you know now that I'm reading rereading it, like when I when I first read it, I took it as like, Ethan, get the f out of there, dude. You obviously your dad has lost his marbles. Yeah, you got to get out of the kingdom. But now that I'm rereading it and thinking about the consequences and the thought behind the writing, you know, uh, in the same way that Luthien was about to vow to avenge Garth Rogar in front of everybody in the arena, and Katarin's like, yeah. "Yo, hey, wake up, call, shut Don't be up." Stupid. Yeah, you know, you're still in front of Ethan. People. Starts you berating Garrus to the point where Gar Garrus is just like, "Okay, you done? Slap! Wake up, kid!" Yeah, yeah. like this is. Do reality, you understand son. how this stuff works? I've been running this kingdom since yeah. forever, since me and Bruce Durgis. We're freaking uh, chasing some tail in the local 
homeboys in the trade routes, and now you're going to fuck it up for everybody. Right. Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. So Ethan that's doesn't kinda, respond. You're right, though. I mean, you're right, though. And it's it, it gives you a sense of the relationships that these characters have together. And, you know, you can see Catherine's looking out for Luthien. Yep. And Garrus, even though... Even though there's the backhand is slap, you know, are you done? You know, gives him a slap. He is still trying to look out for Ethan. He's still trying to lead Ethan, even though he's he's so just disappointed with Ethan's reaction. It, it's so Ethan's reaction is so extreme that Garrus has to go extreme the other way to make up for it. I think that's yeah. my thoughts on it anyway. Ethan didn't respond. He just mean mugged his dad with narrowed eyes. Garrus didn't want it to go this far but now he has to put it into action plans that he knew he had to do that's how it kind of ends that little scene he now has to put into actions plans he didn't want to do but now he knows so we don't know what that means now well because we've both read this section are these the plans of having luthien succeed him instead of ethan because that's what i kind of put together after that i don't think so did you finish the book nope okay i don't think so okay so what they're leading you to believe here is that don't don't tell me if it's a spoiler because I haven't gotten there. Hold on, hold on. Not a spoiler in the spoil cast of the century. Oh God. Okay, then you can. No, it's okay. I mean, no, basically, I, mean, I do what, have to read it. How yet, he's so. saying this is is <laughs> it's good for all readers, really, because if you are not on Team G Man, you're like, oh, he's got to put into plan something. Yeah, of course. Now we know. And then when you read the next part where Ethan's saddling up his horse and he's like, yeah, I'm leaving to go fight in a war with the Gaskins. Dad's sending me off to die, you know. Um, you think, yeah, of course he was doing that because he wants Luthien to be the rightful heir, right? Mm, but if you are but if you are still on Team Garrus, you have no idea, but you know he's going to handle it. Um, whatever it is, you're thinking. And, and if you read the whole book, it doesn't reveal itself either. But at, since I have and read, you know, into some of it that has been written down where the next book's going to start and stuff like that, uh, I think Garrus has got a plan for this situation. It sucks that he had to do it, but he's like, he's been thinking about this day since Luthien was born 20 years ago. You know what I mean? He's like, okay, right. I need to figure out a plan. So I like it. We'll right. get to that uh, back. Way over in chapter, I don't know, 16, whenever it ends. Um, <laughs> Luthien yeah. sat on a high bluff toward the north side of the bay, watching as the last light went out in the town of Dunvarna. Dunvarna? Do we need the map? Yeah, you could show it up. Dunvarna's just, right here. Here's Isn't it Isle just Bedford north of? Yep. Just north, north middle or whatever? Tail yeah. is the far corner, and then Dunvarna yeah. is just like Dunvarna. right? Yep. Yeah. So Dunvarna. he's just watching the, the lights go out, the last of the lights go out in the town of Dunvarna. He's having a midlife crisis couldn't believe that his friend garth was dead his mind was churning with how this might have tied into ethan's open disdain for their father someone who luthien saw as noble warrior his father that is he was beginning to see garrus as ethan must have for a while he continues to ponder about his first taste of real unforgivable life under wizard king Greensparrow. then Catherine came up and spoke with him trying to calm him down after some discussion, Luthien decided to make his vow privately with Catarin as witness. On the grave of my dead mother, I'll repay he who killed Garth Rogar. Whatever the cost, whatever the consequences to me, to my father, to Bedwidrin. Catarin was stunned, but also understood Luthien's fire. She grew up in, a, in secluded hail, away from politics, like me, 
and this just didn't seem right to her. She knew there was unfairness going on. Yeah, of course. So then they snuggle with each other to ward off the chills of the August night. So this is what I got a note on this. So this is the first mention of a month, August. And so we can assume that they're on the same calendar as us. So there's an August, September. I like that, though. It makes it easy. You know, familiarity and they and they do bring up the time of the year throughout the story later on yep. it becomes like winter time and stuff and there's yeah. some things going on with the, like you know cold, people that are cold and how they work around that whatever um so it immediately allows you to um get a grasp of timing and that there are changes of seasons and stuff like that and at night if you're looking at the stars in the middle of summer or at the end of summer it does get chilly in august so they snuggle together hmm. for the night Okay, the next morning, the Montfort ship left Harbor. Luthien begrudgingly returns to his home, and before he can make it through the front door, he's inter- intercepted by two Cyclopean guards saying that his father needs to speak with him immediately. He then goes to the study where they keep books and family heirlooms to speak with Garrus. Above the hearth was his most prized possession, the family sword, Blind Striker. It's like a golden that. it's a golden hilt. Uh, or its golden hilt was lined with jewels and sculpted to look like a dragon with his outstretched wings as the cross piece. Garrus was facing the hearth and didn't turn towards his son as he began to uh, calmly speak with his son. Blind striker, dude. This is the this is what's on the cover of the book. That sword. Yes. One would call it the sword of Bedwyr, uh, aka yes. blind striker. Why do you think it's called blind striker? Or, or, or. Mm-hmm. Is Luthien the sword of Bedwyr? Ooh, ooh! Actually, that's why the book is titled such. Oh, is it? It has nothing to do with the sword. The sword. Oh. Yes, the sword is a physical thing, but okay. Luthien is also the sword of Bedwyr. Oh, that's cool! I didn't know that. Yeah, not to ruin anything for you, but that's cool. I like that. Okay, so um, so his father. I'm, I'm five chapters in, and I'm already telling you why it's titled the way it's titled. Cool. Uh, educate yourself, you yeah. plebeian. When we do the when we do the five minute book review after all this is done, we'll we'll go over that. Why is it called really? the sort of bad wear? Uh it's called Blind Striker because Cyclopians have one eye. It's like many Cyclopians and it struck them blind by cutting out their eye. Sweet. That's why I would call it Blind Striker. So uh his father's facing away from him, facing the hearth. He knows his son just walked in, and he begins to calmly speak with his son. He doesn't want to lose his cool. Where have you been? I needed to be away. Mm-hmm. Let your anger settle. Mm. <laughs> mm. Anger bubbling underneath. Uh, heavy breathing starts. Luthien has a short outburst about the unfairness of the situation, and Garrus explains the way of the world of how the world works and how real war can take the spirit out of a person. Luthien brings up Bruce McDonald, Brucey Mac, Very not true. losing the spark in his eyes, and Garrus rebuttals by saying that no one alive knows what Bruce actually felt about the aftermath of the horrors of war. This was a really good point, because this is something that you don't often get to talk about in fantasy books, or in any book for that matter. Yes, I understand that this is a fantasy setting. Yes, I understand that we have heroes, that they do great things, and they go through incredible odds and incredible challenges, and they overcome them, and they defeat the dragon or the evil necromancer or whatever the hell it is. But what does that actually do to those people? What does it do to the the soul of the person? The psyche and the soul and the mental state. It is really cool to see Garrus kind of delving into that. And it's something a lot of books, you know, I mean, this is an older book, but it's something books nowadays don't necessarily do. 
Yeah, Bob kind think... of plays around with a lot of little cool writing styles in here. Uh, yeah. In the beginning of the next chapter, he starts off with some kind of almost subtle poetry where he's like asking questions, but as the narrator, not as like a character. It's like, yeah. yeah so it's, it's, it's kind of cool that he, he actually goes a little deeper, you know, for, for a book that has months like August and September, it is actually pretty deep. Like, you Love know, it. it's not super simple. Anyone can read it, but if you want to, analyze the crap out of it you totally can which is what we're about to do i freaking love it who can say what bruce mcdonald wore in his heavy soul he advises luthien to swallow his pride and not follow in the footsteps of ethan the chapter ends with garris working himself up into a rage about ethan never coming to learn his place luthien almost went to his father to calm him but held back quietly and left the room his father's words from who he had loved and respected all his life, now rang hollow. The chapter ends with Luthien revisiting in his mind the sounds of the crossbow click and the death gasp of his friend's last breath. So when I first read this chapter, I actually, this was one of my favorite chapters. I, I'm not even kidding you. Like, I, I read the fight chapter. I'm like, oh, it was really good. Yep. But then I read this and I'm like, I'm hooked. Yeah. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to finish. Like, I'm excited. Because... There's there is something about the need to please our fathers yeah. or our or our you know our makers right the the people that raise us there is something about that need that resonates with us as human beings where I'm like oh I need to know what Luthien's gonna do is he really gonna go out for revenge and risk everything or is he gonna play it smart I'm like I got I gotta read it I have to know and that's what pushed me to the next chapter which was. So cool. Loved it. Yeah. Um, I also uh, liked how this chapter kind of, it did exactly what I wanted it to do after the death of, of Garth Rogar. He, uh, Luthien runs off by himself, thinks about everything. Katarin comes up. His girlfriend kind of talks him down. He decides, you know what? Now that I'm calmed down, I am going to make a freaking vow. This is honor. You know, I've been raised in the honor of the old ways. I'm going to honor his legacy. And this is how I'm going to do it. This chapter was character development and introspection heavy. Yes. Very heavy with those two things. And it's a, it's a really good writing style if you can pull it off. And Bob does it. it Bob was, It was right on point. So any final points you want to make about chapter three? Um, nope. I think we could probably just crush chapter four. Or is well, it too much? It's, it's chapter four, wet with the blood of a fallen enemy. And I will tell you this, my favorite chapter so far. <laughs> he says that about every chapter, guys. My favorite chapter so far. Chapter okay, here four. we go. I'll, I'll go through the summary and uh, jump in when you want to. I promise I will. Uh, the chapter Actually, start... let me stop you right there. <laughs> the chapter starts with the narrator asking questions um, that have a flair of poetry and introspection to them. What might have been had the parents of the king not met? What might have been had the hero had a hero been cut down in his youth by an arrow that whizzed harmlessly past, cracking the air barely an inch away? Often does the simplest chance affect the history of nations, and so it was that August night when Luthien walked out of House Bed Bedweer to the stables where he found Ethan readying his horse, saddlebags stuffed with provisions. So one thing when we're writing that I like to avoid is the concept of the lucky hero, right? Mm -hmm. Because 
if somebody shoots at me with a crossbow intending to kill me, yeah. chances are I'm going to get hit. But if it if I'm if I if it if luckily I'm able to move away. Eh. Well, what I think what he's saying here is he is a it's continuing with the introspection of being like, you know, how can things change if there was just some subtle difference? If Garth Rogar had won, then Luthien would have died. I understand that. You know, think so, about, you know, in my in my own fantasy book in the Trinity of Heroes, I think about, well, what if Razius would have gone into a crazed state and killed both Lawrence and Benny right there when they threatened to turn him in? The whole book would have been different. Yeah. The whole entire thing would have been different. But so I think it's a cool concept. But I also it also kind of is like plays with the writing of, uh, well, sometimes you just have somebody who's lucky and I, I'm never sure how to write that. So. I, yeah, I don't he, know if he's necessarily calling that out here, but I it was reminded of it. So um, that was one of the points that I want to bring up uh, at the end after we do this, but I'm going to bring it up right now just to s- slice it down because I want to respect your time. So We're um, good. I called it Poetic Bob. So the opening of the chapter hits us with some poetic questions about actions that change nations or even the future king. It seems like the it seems like it's a narrator's soliloquy. A soliloquy is an act of speaking one's thoughts aloud when by oneself, regardless of any hearers, especially by a character in a play, kind of like you see in like uh, Romeo and Juliet and all mm-hmm. those, you know, Macbeth and stuff. They stand away from the scene and they start talking about their thoughts. But this is like from the narrator. So this kind of hints at a more active narrator. Like a, like he might be a character in the story, or he might even be the main character himself. We don't know that yet, but um, I, I thought like that it. was interesting. No, I like it. I do. I okay, really so like Luthien rolls up to Ethan. He's getting his saddlebags ready. Luthien gives Ethan a curious look to get his brother to explain what's going on or what he's prepping for. Ethan says he's leaving southward with a band of King Greensparrow's soldiers to Gascony to fight with the Gascons against the Kingdom of Dree. Luthien, overwhelmed by this, idealistically says it's a noble cause. He doesn't know. You know, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds noble. To which Ethan tells him uh, what he really thinks is going on in a very angry and spiteful way. Ethan says it's a mercenary cause for an unlawful king. When Luthien asks why bother going at all if it's that bad, Ethan reveals because the uh, Yorl of Bedridgen has ordered him to go, referring to his father, Garrus. So Garrus ordered Ethan to go, telling him that it would bring honor to him and the island. Luthien, still being naive to the situation, asks why he doesn't have the family heirloom blind striker then, if he's going to go and bring honor to the family. Ethan then completely makes clear to Ethan that it isn't just some uh, inter-kingdom military aid, but that it's a death sentence for him to die, leaving only Luthien as heir to the throne, suggesting that Garrus is obeying Aubrey's suggestions. Ethan continues by telling Ethan he's a fool, and then explains uh, what he sees uh, Aubrey's tour of the North Isles really was as a recon mission to ensure that everyone in the North is, uh, or everyone North of the Iron Cross knows their place. Ethan leaves Luthien with a final word. You will have a new mother. Treat her with respect and fear. So after finding out that uh, Avenese or Avenes, the very woman who whose pennant he carried into battle that led to his friend Garth Rogar's death is now married to Garrus. Luthien is distraught. He didn't sleep that night. The next day he ignored a call from Catherine and didn't sleep again that night. So he is freaking tired. Then Luthien thought of confronting Garrus. Now with his eyes open to the reality that Ethan brought to him. 
The next morning, he goes to meet up with Garrus to discuss everything and just get it all out there. So before we get into that, Ethan just tells him, yo, dude, I'm going to fight in the Gaskin War. And I'm probably going to die. And I'm probably going to die. So Gaskin, he's down here. They're fighting. Um, the, the Gaskins are fighting, uh, what was Dere. it called? Dere. Dere. And it's like, we don't see that on the map anywhere. So it's some other kingdom. That's fine. Um, and he's not. he doesn't have Blind Striker. It's obvious that um, he's just going there to die. To Ethan, it's obvious. But this, remember, guys, uh, guys on Team Garrus, Team G-Man, he has a plan. Garrus has a plan. And this is probably part of it. So anyway, um, Luthien enters Garrus' study and found it was empty. He was about to leave, but then decided not to because he might run into the newlyweds, uh, Garrus and Avanes, and not wanting to have to deal with discussing things with Avanes around to twist his father's responses. I see this part. I'm just kind of looking back over things, you know, and you see uh, Luthien. He's sitting in the chair, starts a fire. Yeah, he makes know. himself comfortable. He's got, his, got his feet up, you know. I see him just kind of being like, I'm picking a fight. See, I, I see him as going like, this is the last chance to get something out of my father. I need to find out what he thinks, you know. But he's, you know, you can just see it here, though, from his body language. You're right. Like, he, he he does... He he tries when the, when the Cyclopean comes in, right? Mm-hmm. He tries to antagonize the Cyclopean. He's not accidental. That's true. Oh, I misspoke. I'm so sorry if I offended. He you. does pick it a little he, bit. He does it on purpose. Well, okay, I, I, so he doesn't he doesn't go into it necessarily looking for a fight, but no, the response he, he gets from the from the Cyclopean is like, "Ah, uh, who are you? You just came here a week ago, okay, bro." There's yeah. a point, there's a point, right? And I think as people, we can feel this too, where when you're, when somebody says something to you and you're like, okay, and then you, yeah, you, there's you, a breaking try to point. Be, you try to be civil and you, you speak again and, but you don't back down, but you speak again. And then they decide they want to push the button and you're like, all right, you know what? I'm going to cut you down. Yep. So I'm done. here, here it comes. So he made himself comfortable in the study, starting the hearth fire and started reading books. While reclining at the desk, feet up on the desk, book in hand, a Cyclopean guard wielding a trident bursts uh, open the door and begins to demand, What are you about? These brutish Cyclopeans with their pointy teeth. Uh, Luthien doesn't know how to respond because it's his father's study. His study, basically. The guard pressed on, What business have you in the private quarters of Earl and Erlas Bedwidrin? So, Earl and Erlas... Erlen, almost like, almost like now that this new woman is here, the Cyclopean no longer even serves his father, more serves others' interests. Yes, uh, you don't have a right to be in this study because she doesn't want you here. So get out. Yeah, he's just like, yo, do not disrespect my dad. Right. So Luthien is stunned by the term "your less." Because it implies an equal amount of power over the land to someone who just waltzed in basically against yeah. everyone's will, yeah, making it seem like sure. Evaness is forcing her position very fast. So Luthien checks the guard and is like, uh, who the heck are you? The guard then introduces himself as the personal guard of the Yorless of Bedridgen. That's, right that's when he, he was giving him the Benny of the doubt, being like, okay, maybe he doesn't remember I was the guy that fought in the arena. Maybe he doesn't know that Garrus is my dad. 
This will become clear very quick. But then he says he's the personal guard of the Yorles of Bedridgen, which means he's notably not the personal guard of the Yorl, meaning he doesn't protect Garrus. He protects Evaness. And he's making a, a very strong statement there. Luthien then sees the crossbow on the Cyclopean's back. Oh, it's the Cyclopean that killed my bro Garth Rogar. So he leaps from his seat. The Cyclopean tries to pull rank, threatening Luthien because he was not announced. And, yeah, and will teach him proper etiquette if he does not leave now. Okay, so now it's on. So, well, it's getting close to being on. Luthien builds up a rage as he realizes that Ethan was right all along. Uh, that this right. was all planned out. Luthien asks of the Cyclopean, did you enjoy killing a human while he lay ha- helplessly on the ground? To which the guard, with an evil smile widening on his face, responds, I always enjoy killing men. I like your voice acting. Thanks. Luthien gets pissed and throws a rock that he finds under the desk at the Cyclopean's thigh. Okay, the Cyclopean lowers his trident, and it's on. Luthien realizes the brute is, is going to fight, and it's on Jackie Chan Moan activated. Well, you can hear even Luthien's like, oh, that's such a British decision. Yeah, um, why did I hit him now in the thigh? I don't know. So, anyway, <laughs> so, so I said Jackie Chan Moan activated because he then all of a sudden, Luthien picks up a chair to block the first thrust, which then gets shattered into pieces by the trident. And I just imagine Luthien yeah. Chan being like, oh. I don't want trouble, you know? Anyway, so... <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> I'm cool. Um, so he picks up the chair, uh, which gets shattered into pieces. He then grabs a fire poker and parries with it. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. like... Uh, he's, he's, a, sure. he's a scrapper. He can fight you with anything. He'll so, wash his hands and then kick... He, they say he's a dirty fighter. He'll wash his hands and still kick your ass. <laughs> uh, injury report. Luthien gets nicked by it in the lower abdomen, causing blood. That's okay. So unbelievable. Then he pokes the Cyclopean in the eye and use the opening to grab the sword from above the hearth. How is that not the end of the fight? He pokes him in the eye. Oh, you'll that find just out. Make him, wouldn't this that just blind him? This ain't your average Cyclopean, okay? Because the sword gets stuck in the hilt as the Cyclopean charged. Planting his foot against the hearth, Luthien pulls the sword free just in time uh, to equal out the thrust of the trident. After some parries, the guard reveals that he was the commander of the Praetorian Guard. Okay? So he's like, I am not some simple boy playing in an arena. I was the commander of the Praetorian Guard. Which, Praetorian, as we know, is all of the land and all that. So this is, you know, they probably, for commanders, they probably poked them in the eye a bunch of times to get them used to it. You know what I mean? Like back when I used to wrestle, one of the weak points is right under the nose and you do something called a cross face, which is like a legal punch. So yeah. what I used to do is I'd spend a a whole week every year just having everybody cross face me all day. And then I got used to it. So then that way, when someone would do it, I could muddle through it. No problem. Easy. So they probably poked. This guy's probably got calluses on his eyes. You know what I mean? This guy eats broken noses for breakfast. You know what I'm saying? So. The sword get okay, we got that. After some periods, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so now that he announced that he's the Praetorian, he was the commander of the Praetorian Guard, they're fairly well matched. Luthien uses a couch to gain some advantages. Then he pulls some quick reversals, catching the guard off balance with its trident blocking high, and Luthien swings low, pierces into the guts of the Cyclopean, killing the guard, his first kill. 
Luthien didn't like yeah. Luthien didn't like the feeling of this killing. But he reminded himself that this was the Cyclopean that killed his friend Garth Rogar. And the idea uh, uh that idea kept him sane. He then realized um that he had just set many events into motion and that he would need to leave. With the sun quickly setting in the east, he knew his father would return shortly to see what had happened. A plan was hatched right then. To leave the sword, meet up oh, we got something. Go ahead. Do. I'm raising my hand. Yes. How about the brutal kill? Right through the guts. Blind strikers tick dug into the Cyclopean's belly and ran its way up through the creature's diaphragm, cutting at the lungs and heart. The one I had to try it up above its head by that time and angled down at Luthien, and for a horrifying second, Luthien thought its wicked prongs would dive into him. Then he saw the light go out of the Cyclopean's eye. I mean, dude, brutal, violent, and graphic. Brutal. I love it. Yes. I love it. Well, yeah, that goes again into his writing of, like, just fighting. He did such a good job. I didn't go through the play-by-play necessarily there. I only did the big hits. But, yeah, just the idea <laughs> that he, he ducks under low, swipes high to try to get the trident to go up. When the trident goes up, Luthien stabs him in the guts, and Luthien thinks the trident's going to hit him. But then, obviously, the Cyclopean's dead at that point. Yeah. Okay, so um, a plan was hatched right then to leave the sword then as fast as he could. Um, He would head south uh, to the ferry, and after that, who knows? So he would try to meet up with Ethan. So that's the end of the chapter. I got some points to bring up. It was a good chapter. My only question after reading this chapter is, I know. Where do we go from here? I was literally just about to say what's going to happen next because – I mean, it was so good, dude. I, I freaking loved it. And I knew. I knew the moment that guard walked in the room. I'm like, oh, he's dead. I didn't. I thought I did. here comes more he political BS. No, he's no, going to talk. I he's going to bring him to Garrus. And Garrus is going to be sitting with Avenese. And they're going to have to publicly shame Luthien and kick him out of the kingdom or some crap. That would have cool. it been turned cool. out. No, it wouldn't have been cool. That would have been political yes, it BS. Would have. It would have really hooked me. I would have been like, why is he being kicked out of the kingdom by his father if that had happened if that had happened i would have stopped reading i know i would have stopped reading but it didn't now we got to kill garth technically garth rogar has been avenged story's over that's the end of the book luthien killed the guy who killed garth rogar the book's over um yeah uh, it was a good book overall uh, a little slow at points a lot of violence the fight scenes were good you guys should definitely read it for yourself there's a link in the description to it on amazon if you guys want to buy it it supports the channel uh, I'm Justin, indie author, and of course, you know, joined by my friend Dan. This is it. Good night. <laughs> I, I don't have the link. Um, <laughs> Ends the episode. What? Okay. So I got some points to bring up. All right. All right. All right. No questions for Bob this week. What? I had one question on the last chapter, but we talked about it. It was like August, choosing the fact that you're using the months of our actual world, which also <laughs> further led me to believe that we were reading a completely different book. But it's it's a way to it's a way to keep your reader engrossed in the world you're creating by making them believe that the world they're reading about is similar to the one they live in i think so anyway yes okay so the um bob's conversation writing style is also a pleasure to read not just his fighting um he doesn't just write the dialogue but he writes the actions of the characters and it gives it more impact because a lot of writers will just go back and forth um so let's go into the beginning of chapter four uh, and I have it pulled up here so I can show. So let's see here. 
So uh, this is when Ethan has his uh, saddlebags stuffed with pre uh, provisions. Um, so Ethan's uh, so Luthien moved near his brother, eyeing him curiously, letting his expression ask the obvious question. He doesn't just say, "Hey, what's up, brother?" He goes, "I've been sent away." Ethan answered. Luthien seemed to not understand. "I'm going to the south." Ethan went on, uh, spitting out every word to travel with the king. Blah blah blah. A noble cause. Um, Luthien's too overwhelmed to consider his words. And then, and then Ethan says it's a mercenary cause. Ethan stopped tightening the saddlebags and turned an incredulous look upon his naive little brother. Luthien just shrugged, still not catching on. This is a whole, like, thing. It's like you can see the action happening. You actually see Ethan at the horse tightening things up. You see him giving the faces at his brother because brothers have that communication with each other where they don't need to use words all the time. They can just say shortened sentences. They understand what, we're, what they're talking about, and this is how they, he's showing it. It's really good writing in the fact that half the conversation is actually verbal, right, between the two. The other half of the conversation is like is like Luthien doing this. Exactly. And, and then you just you just see Ethan's like Yeah, exactly. You know he's pissed. You know he's you know he's thinking stuff's heavy on his mind. Like you can just tell. But it's he doesn't have Bob doesn't have to have there be conversation like, I'm not happy, brother, with the way I'm being sent off to die. Like you can just like you know it. You know he's not happy about it. Yeah, okay, so now let's look at, we'll use that to go into Ethan's point of view. So he says at one point, when he says he's a fool, he says, My younger brother, who has never known freedom, who has lived all his life under the rule of Carlisle and Montfort. Ethan was around before Green Sparrow. He was, he was like 16 or 15 years old. So when this all went down 20 years ago, when uh, Luthien was born, he has seen freedom. He has seen when things were good, when Garrus and... Um, Bruce Durgis were just chilling all the time. You know what I mean? Having banquets trade and stuff. Routes, Trading it, it yeah. up. Talking about yeah. the crops. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Green Sparrow came in and shit got real. And so yeah. Ethan's – that. of course Ethan's jaded. So now I'm understanding Ethan's point of view. He's not just some bratty guy. He's been seeing this from the beginning and he's not let – he isn't in a position of power at this point. So he doesn't have to let his judgment be changed by whoever just comes and visits, okay? He also maybe necessarily is playing the big brother role, and he doesn't want to expose his brother to this yet. Maybe that's part of the reason that he hasn't really done anything about it. Maybe that's part of the reason that he hasn't really brought it to Luthien's attention yet, because he very easily could have gone to Luthien and said, brother, things are bad here. We need to leave. Yeah. And they could have left together. They could have had the same brother storyline like we wanted to see with Luthien and Garth Rogar. Yeah. They could have had that same sort of adventure together, just getting away and looking for help and trying to figure things out. But he's he's still trying to protect Luthien from that by just hoping. And in some way, I think um, Garrus knows this all along. He knows that Ethan is too headstrong to let himself, um, even though he's real. Garrus has set it up to make it look as if Luthien is the rightful heir or wants him to be the heir so that when Ethan leaves, he leaves by himself and doesn't accidentally take Luthien with him. Luthien mm. messes that up by killing this guard. Luthien completely changes the script. He threw a wrench in the plan. Yeah. So Garrus now is going to have to do it by himself, but he still has a plan, and I and I think it goes right into how he knows his sons react to things, except Luthien kind of threw a wrench. Okay, next thing, Praetorian Guard. This is the first mention of a Praetorian Guard, like the commander of the Praetorian Guard. So that means that Praetoria or um, the Cyclopeans are actually more instilled in all of Praetoria more than we ever really thought. They have commanders, they have ranks, 
They have units that are going to help Gascony. So it kind of gives you an idea of exactly how big or broad of an army we're dealing with. Very much. Next thing. Uh, when Luthien decides he's got to get out of Dodge, he decides to leave the sword for two reasons. Now, this is his family sword. He's got to leave, and he could have brought it. But he says, first, to let his father see the weapon that was used to exact revenge for Garth's death. And second, because he felt that he had already just brought shame upon, upon his house, and he would not further that by stooping to common thievery. I think that's funny. I think it's funny, but I think another reason he did it was because if he took the family sword, his father would immediately, no questions, know it was Luthien. Well, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, but I think it's funny that um, he w- he didn't want to stoop to common thievery. He brings this up a couple times in the next couple chapters about how yeah, thievery white, is white so different, fucking different disgusting. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It's disgusting. I would never steal my family sword, even though it would totally save my life in a pinch. But this does become one of the best Highwaymen books I've ever read, where it's about being a bandit. You know what I mean? I love it. It becomes so good and entrenched in like the thievery of of common thievery. That it is, it is wonderful. So it's funny that he puts this in the beginning, knowing what he's going to write. It's great. Okay. Uh, places of note, and then we're closing it out. So uh, the Kingdom of Dury, it's in reference to the battle between the Gaskins, and which Ethan was sent to the front lines of. Um, Aubrey's tour of the Northern Isles. They mention his tour. So let's, let's take the tour with them, guys. So... Um, <laughs> so he Did goes... everybody have their ticket? Get your ticket. Hey, leek soup's on the menu, boys! Okay. Um, oh, no. Oh, no, not again. So he goes to Kareth, which is Isle Kareth over here. Marvis, shout out to the Banquets of Bruce Durgis. Run up. Bedwardrin. So we go from here to Marvis all the way to Bedwardrin. And then um, then they go to Diamond Gate on the way back to Montfort. So Diamond Gate, um, that's just a place we haven't heard of. Kareth. Uh, Kareth we haven't heard of but it is on the map so he he's actually checking out all the northern isles just to make sure it, it solidifies the fact that yeah they're just they weren't doing it just for fun this wasn't just for sport this was to see who's in power and part of that you got something keeping an eye you on see him. it you see it moving on to the next part when the cyclopean comes into the room the study uh, Luthien yelled at the cyclopean guard when he was asked why he's in his father's studies he says what, uh, how does he say it? He's like, what in the lava pits of the five sentinels are you saying? Or are you doing here? Yeah. The yeah. lava pits of the five sentinels. Let's take a look. So here's the five sentinels on the eastern part of the map. There are lava pits over here. I want to see the lava pits. I that would be them. great if they go there and fight around the lava pits and crap. But the yeah. way he says it, it's kind of like a what in the nine hells. Like, it's yeah, more of just a figure of speech. That's what it's meant to be, yeah. So... There may not actually be lava pits of the Five Sentinels, but I think that's cool. Um, And that's it. That's Chapter 4. We're ready to go, dude. It's on. I'm in the book now. Yep, it's happening. I'm happy to read forward. So this was a big turning point for me with reading, right? Because I I finished a chapter and I'm like, well, now he's got to run away. There's no way. There's no freaking way he stays. He's got to go. And I'm like, so what's going to happen? Who's going to help him? Who's he going to come across? And now it's like, just like you said, it's on, dude. Here we go. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to the next chapters. We're going to meet one of our uh, greatest characters. I Yes, 
I can't wait. I am super stoked for that. So, uh, with that, thank you very much for uh, joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Again, today we discussed Chapter 3 and Chapter 4 from The Sword of Bedwear, Book 1 of The Crimson Shadow from R.A. Salvatore. Yep. Uh, And, guys, we're now on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So, if you want to... uh, Listen to us there. Download it. Uh, Otherwise, you can continue watching on YouTube and read along with us. We'd love to have you join us in on these discussions. Oh, we have to get our – what what is that? How do we do that? We have to get the typical YouTube promotion in there. Make sure you guys smash. No, no, no. Stopping you right there. Smash, like, and subscribe. You have to subscribe. Oh, no. Um, I'm fine with 10 (laughs) subscribers. We got up to 10. I'm I'm stoked about that. We got 10 people. Five of which are my other accounts. <laughs> Just kidding. But, uh, no, it, it's fine. Um, it's been actually a real treat talking about this book in depth, yeah. and I can't wait to see. It is. I'm looking forward to doing this for a long time. So, well, sometimes you right, sometimes we read something, and we're like, okay, that was okay. You know, that's yeah. pretty cool. You call me the next day, oh, I'm reading this book. It's okay. But, you know, like, just sitting here talking about I mean, we just spent, what, an hour practically almost? Mm-hmm talking about two chapters of this book and we went fast and we, and we did we really we kind of flew through these and i thought they were great yeah i, I was i was so into it yeah we spent 20 minutes on nine pages yeah it's hella fun it's really great uh again sort of bed we're a lot of fun to read and uh thanks for having me on the podcast and i really appreciate it um where can they find you justin what do you got um well i, I got you're you gonna... got the author you're a book you know you're... yeah yeah, I'm a book. Yeah, um, so I am. A, I am an indie I author. I am a book. I, I am a book. Uh, I am an indie author. Uh, my brother and I have written some uh, some works. I would definitely recommend my light novel series, Tokyo Lightning. It's available on Amazon uh, digitally for sure. Uh, to anybody that's looking for just the, if you're into anime or if you're into you know like light novels, manga, anything like that. There's no pictures, but uh, it is a, it is like a fun high school drama with some at times superhero and romance elements. So I would definitely recommend that. And of course, the Trinity of Heroes is the first book in our mainstay fantasy series. It's about three best friends that want to become knights to protect the lands from evil, and the story branches out from there. Awesome, and you can you guys can find him on Amazon. He's got Kindle books out. He's got physical books out. You can order from yep. him directly, and I have the links to that in the description below. Thank you, Justin, for joining me on this episode of I'm Random Book Club Podcast.